This is On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com on mypodcasthouse.com. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com or on the Radio Show Limited's RS1. Thanks for joining us for another week. Marshall Pruitt, the American racing legend, joins us very shortly with Richard Crow to have a chat about what promises to be a spectacular Indy 500, especially for Australians who get to see Scotty McLaughlin on the Indy circuit for the first time in a 500. How good is that going to be? All that to come, Mark Walker to join myself and Richard as well for a bit of a chat about the week in motorsport. But first of all, Formula One returns to its spiritual home, I suppose you could call it, in Monaco for the Monaco Grand Prix this weekend. And Dale Rogers has all the news. Good day, Dale. Tony, hi. Formula One returns to probably its most iconic venue this weekend in uh, Monaco, uh, where we look at uh, the Monaco Grand Prix playing out this year in front of only 7,500 spectators allowed into the venue. Uh, now, how that will play out with uh, the people in the hotel balconies and the yachts, I guess, is yet to be seen. But uh, a fantastic track to watch these cars on, around the swing pool, uh, down through Mirabeau, uh, around the Casino Square. It, it is a fantastic track. Interestingly, I guess if you if you fronted up today and said this is the sort of track we want to build for a new Formula One circuit, you'd be laughed out of town. But uh, it remains there for what it is. It's, it really is a, a fantastic place to race and see these cars running. Um, Red Bull certainly will start favourites, and um, as Toto Wolff said uh, this week, uh, Monaco puts the fire under your ass, and uh, that's probably exactly what uh, Max is going to need this weekend to stave off the Mercedes. He'll also need his teammate Sergio Perez to step it up, who really has left him a little bit in the lurch in the last couple of races, particularly in Spain. Uh, it's taking t- Perez time to get in, in uh, train with this uh, Red Bull this year. Not an easy task. Let's have a look at the, uh, the, the drivers that moved this year uh, to, to new teams. Sergio Perez uh, definitely with, with great credentials and it really is, is taking time to settle into this car. Uh, Carlos Sainz doing a fantastic job at Ferrari, uh, although Charles Leclerc really is one of the standouts of the year. Um, Australian media like rubbishing Dan Ricciardo's performance. Uh, I think it's pretty unfair really. He's doing a good job and did really drove a very, very solid race in Spain. Uh, to lead home his teammate and has out-qualified Lando so far this year. And that leaves uh, Sebastian Vettel. Um, who would have thought we'd be saying that Lance Stroll would be belting a four-time world champ? So uh, Vettel really struggling uh, in that um, Aston Martin this year. Uh, other things of interest, Tony, this weekend, uh, Williams will start their 750th Grand Prix. Uh, probably a bit sad that the Williams family won't be there uh, to actually witness this or have play no partner, but it's great that the brand is there and 750 GPs is a milestone, uh, really a, a great milestone for the team and, and let's hope that they can continue their drive up the grid. Um, and McLaren uh, launch a fascinating uh, golf retro. The car looks fantastic, uh, really great to see retro liveries in Formula One when they pop up and this is, this is a great one for McLaren to do, so congratulations to Zach Brown and the guys. One thing that Joe Saywood, a long-time uh, Formula One journalist, did point out, in fact, though, that if they had gone the whole hog, they would have had the uh, uh, Steve McQueen uh, golf livery uh, overalls, which he wore at the Le Mans thing many, many moons ago if they weren't to good completely because the overalls uh, look nothing like a golf-sponsored car. But interesting point from Joe, and uh, he's always one to throw one into the, into the fire. So uh, looking forward to it, Tony. Great weekend, great race. And I think these cars will be quite stunning uh, at this venue this year. And... Um, We'll be back next week to talk how it all wraps up.
back to you in the studio, Tone. And before we get into the rest of the show, let's get into some MotoGP news. An Aussie Jack Miller has survived both a double long lap penalty and a dip into a gravel trap to claim victory at the French Grand Prix last weekend. It's his second straight win after his victory in Jerez earlier this month. Miller also became the first driver in MotoGP history to receive a double long lap penalty and podium, let alone win, at an event. Although the race start was dry, it quickly began to rain, causing many riders to crash off and go wide throughout the race. Miller himself was helped by race leader Quadrero, also netting a long lap penalty for pulling into his teammate's pit box in a pit stop. Miller eventually finished ahead of teammate Johan Zarco with Quadrero in third. Current championship runner-up Francesco Bagnaia finished fourth. The next race scheduled to be held in Italy on May 30. Let's get straight into the show. This is On The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com. Well, the last time it was this good to be a fan of US open wheel racing in this part of the world, every year we'd head up to the Gold Coast and a massive party would break out amidst an IndyCar race. It was always good times. And while we don't have the race down here these days, things are pretty good. As well as having every race on live TV again, willpower remains awesome. Scott Dixon looks like he'll be winning races well into his 70s or 80s. And a young bloke called, uh, called Scott McLaughlin is doing incredible things just a few races into his IndyCar career. To help us get the lay of the land, we're joined by a very special guest who I know loves a bit of Aussie action as well from racer.com, the Marshall Pruitt podcast. It's the man himself, Marshall Pruitt, all the way from California. Uh, hello, mate. How are you? Holy cow. Is this crazy? I'm great, brother. <laughs> I'm great. I mean, it saddens me, though, to realize it's been, I don't know, 10 years since I've seen you in person or whatever. Yes, exact it's been too long. Last, uh, last Gold Coast uh, mad IndyCar driver in supercar race, I think, was it? Yeah, 13, 2013, whatever yep. it might have been. Uh, Ricky Taylor wanted to prove he got confused. He heard about the whole <laughs> we're down under thing, said, so does that mean I need to put uh, Gary Rogers' car in the roof at the start? You know, hey, um, that one didn't quite work out, but he and Hinch had one heck of a yard sale out back of the didn't garages. They? So didn't they? they were incredible race meetings. Um, what What's your immediate reflection on those events in particular? without delving into the IndyCar stuff that happened before it? Just beauty. Seriously. Uh, I mean, being able to, look, you and I live fantasy lives. We get money to either flap our gums or go tappity-tap on a keyboard or whatever. Just talking about, writing about, living fully immersed lives in motor racing. It's not real, okay? There's no semblance of, oh, boy, I'm so tired. That's such a hard day of sitting on my behind and, you know, come on. So when we also, on top of that, get to go to the mountain or go to the Gold Coast or go name the place where you go, this is fantasy stuff. That was very much my three, four, five, however many visits down under uh, with uh, Bathurst thrown in there for all the Gold Coast 600s while the IndyCar drivers were involved. It was just so much fun. And I'm fortunate to have been born and raised in Northern California here. So we have lots of beauty and greenery and, you know, the coast right there. So all that wasn't totally unfamiliar to me. But having this amazing motor race set right next to the beach. Yeah. I mean, we got Long Beach. 
I've been going there forever, Crazy. I've got to admit, if both were equal distance drives, I hate to sell out my own people, but I'd be going <laughs> to the Gold Coast. So, uh, yeah, just wonderful. And then stupid, the obvious thing, but, you know, uh, the friendliness and the warmth and the passion and just the, all the things where you go, every single aspect of how Australians go motor racing. And I don't just mean the folks in the paddock. I mean, probably by and large, the folks uh, sitting on the hills, in the grandstands, whatever. There's just a, a cheerfulness and a joy there that uh, I don't know if I find that at every American motor race. So anyways, brother, I just have a big, dumb smile. It's also probably due in large to the uh, jet lag, too. That was kind of fun. So I, I'm a dopey person to begin with throwing traveling to a whole different hemisphere and i think i was especially garbage but man had a lot of fun we need to get you out for bathurst 12 hour at some point in the in the future when the world writes itself because that's uh, something you need on your bucket list um there, there's an event I, I love the way you phrase that gold coast event that a, a commentary colleague of mine called wade Orger, who's a a famous voice here in speedway racing in particular but he'd get the call up every year to come and do that race for the, the circuit big screen coverage and there's, there's an event at the end of every year where all the graduates from high school uh, go and party, basically, to celebrate the end of their schooling career. And it's called Schoolies. And it's incredibly notorious and uh, lots of drunkenness and parties and the things that 18 to 21-year-olds do when they're finished school. But Wade dubbed the Gold Coast event Schoolies for Grown-Ups. <laughs> that, that was that event. And it, and it still retains much of that element that feeling especially in recent years and we've missed it last year and it's it's back at the end of this year as the final round of supercars which is going to be amazing um anyway to the reason we got you on the show in the first place uh indycar racing it's been a remarkable season we're five races in we've had five different winners the youth brigade are doing remarkable things but we've been trying to put on the show into context the effort that our mate scott mclaughlin has been producing week in week out in that amazing PPG Chevy for team Penske. And I, I didn't think there's anyone better than you to try and help us explain what he's achieved so far pre Indy 500 than you. I, I'm just keen on your thoughts on the kind of impact that young Scotty, who's been so incredible here for the last four or five years, what, what kind of impact he's made in his short six race IndyCar career. I sent Roger Penske a note and said, the guy's a total failure. I'd cut bait right now. <laughs> Kidding aside. Holy crap, crazy. What is going on? Mm. We've got this guy who has no right to be as good as he is, knowing the massive gap in performance, experience, vehicle type, Truly, and I'm not saying this because you're a friend and we're talking, you know, we're talking about one of our mutual favorite drivers, that being uh, McLaughlin, mm. just strip any partiality uh, from this. Let's go full impartiality and say neutral guy. He's from Belgium. Let's pretend he's from Belgium. It'd be unfortunate, but let's pretend he's <laughs> from Belgium. Hadn't been in supercars. Maybe he was racing GT3 class somewhere in Europe, whatever might have been a champion in that GT3 series. 
to think that a guy who'd done, I don't even remember what the number is, but like, I don't think you could count them on both hands, the amount of Formula Ford races he did, mm-hmm. whatever the number was, minuscule by comparison to everything he's done uh, in, in, you know, tin tops with a roof over his head, virtually no open wheel education. The counter argument here is, say, a Robert Wickens, right? And, you know, one of the great internet trolls took me to task for this. I wrote a piece just talking about how what Scott is facing in this transition from V8s to IndyCar is unlike almost anything we've seen. The, the You're going from where to where with no intermediate steps? You're not spending a year in Indy Lights or nothing? What? And I said... We can't compare this, uh, not even Robert Wickens. And someone took me to task saying, oh, hey, you know, th- there's another sports car guy like uh, Scotty who's done this. You know, you can't discount Wickens. He spent whatever the number was, crazy, seven years in DTM. Mm. So, yeah, pet true. And this guy won when there was a, a point where there were kind of dueling steps directly below Formula One had f3000 slash gp2 now it's f2 and the world series by renault 3.5 category that world series category was no joke i mean truly if you win that as we've seen you could legitimately go to f1 and be respected robbie robbie did right so all the years formula bmw formula atlantic uh his racing over in europe things stalled but we would have to look at a Wiccans, as you and I know, and hopefully the listeners know, knocked it out of the park on his IndyCar debut, right? Yeah. He was on pole for the first race, and look at all, almost one in a second, and so on. Yes, he had spent the previous seven years in DTM or whatever, but this guy truly was groomed an open wheel, was an open wheeler who got diverted to sports cars, came back to open wheel, and what did we see? That big open wheel training pedigree boom, right on the pace. And Scotty has none of that. And yet he's performing not too far from what Robert Wickens did, who set the standard for the kind of fish out of water type driver coming into IndyCar. This is the thing that blows me away, Chris. You think of Scott's aptitude, everything he demonstrated in V8s. The titles that he won, the races that he won, the manner in which he won so many of those races, you go, this is crazy. Let's see if we could maybe throw him into an LMP2 car (laughs) and see how that talent transfers. No, let's go for the fastest open wheel series in the world that has these big crazy ovals as well. Road courses, street courses, natural terrain, not natural terrain. Let's throw the most diverse racing calendar you can pretty much find in the world at this guy in fearsomely fast cars. The normal script should be two to three year project, somewhere around 2023, maybe. Yeah, a podium, maybe, if he's mm. good. What? <laughs> the guy's sitting eighth in the championship, splitting Simon Pagano and Will Power. Don't know if you've heard of those guys, <laughs> little champions. Indy 500 yeah. winners, and no disrespect to my pal Pagano or Power, but um, what? Yeah, I'll just tell you this and, and hand it back to you. 
I had a conversation with a driver yesterday. And I won't say about which one of the drivers on either side of Scotty we were discussing, but this IndyCar driver was of the same exact mind. What are they getting wrong that he's getting right? Or what does he have that they don't? And moreover, are either of them embarrassed to have this guy who's kind of never done this and has never been to these tracks, had the whole list of nevers, everything is seemingly like, a you know, he's a, a new baby, you know, learning to walk or crawl seemingly at each event he goes to. And you go second on his oval debut. Uh, he's been in the top 10 in three of the five races, pretty close four of uh, those five races. And he's holding eighth in the standings splitting two of his teammates if you ended the season right now it'd be a bit of a mic drop where you go i don't know how we set the bar any higher because you've exploded the one we had for you yeah crazy yeah and and no doubt there's going to be some blips on the radar as the season goes on but then again that's indycar racing at the moment isn't it because one week you can be a hero and winning the indy gp for example and the next week you could be absolutely nowhere and I mean, you could be qualifying towards the back of the Indy 500. It, it's just that competitive at the moment and so wide open. I suppose we have to expect that there will be blips from totally on the radar. Um, wh- what about the off-track side of things? Because one of the things I think we've, from this part of the world, enjoyed seeing the most uh, is the hashtag Scott Learns America. Um, <laughs> is but what you've got is the Scott McLaughlin that we all know and love. And and part of the reason so many fans down here were Scott McLaughlin fans wasn't just because he was a boss racing car driver, which of course he is. He's one of the best supercar drivers of the last decade. Um, But it was because he was just the everyman. He was the down to earth, funny dude who would drop F bombs on live television when he beat wink up in the Volvo and, um, would celebrate with brilliant skids at the end of a race or would show his raw emotion when losing a championship in the final round and took us on the journey of bouncing back from that and everything he went through. And, and you know all those stories as well as I do. Um, the, the McLaughlin you're getting is the McLaughlin that we all know and love. But have, have you been surprised at how quickly the IndyCar fan base and the US fan base have gravitated towards him as a, as a character, not so much as the actual racing car driver? I'll take both sides of that crazy. So not surprised at all. His, well, having followed him in V8s for a while, and I realized it's the Australian Supercross Championship, I'll always call it V8. Um, having followed him intently as he is kicking a lot of behind, coming up the ladder and then, or coming up the, the pecking order and then leading and winning like mad, you could just see, oh man, this guy is so much fun. He, he's just a blast as a person. And he's an amazing race car driver. So I was really excited for him <clears throat> coming over because I thought his personality is going to fit so much of how some of us in America live our lives. Like, hey, this is kind of the land of milk and honey. Like, we're pretty, you know, if you're grumpy, it's on you. It's your choice. We, yeah. There's a lot to be happy about here. This guy seems wired to really get it and get us. Obviously, being married to an American didn't hurt. But I just thought he was going to, to fit so well, and he has. The thing we didn't know is 
what kind of weird funny ways is this going to manifest oh bed bath and beyond oh (laughs) boy he loves this bizarre giant store that sells a lot of things that would apply to its name and many things that have nothing to do with bed baths or beyond uh but just this you guys are kind of crazy and I'm just going to buckle in and enjoy the ride and document it and share it with you, how I see you in your world, mm. but also document it for my many fans and friends back home down under. I think that's been brilliant. I will share this. It's a bit of a criticism. And I don't know, I'll get calls from whomever at Team Penske if they don't like, but that's fine. Um, I think Scott is bringing something to Team Penske on the IndyCar side that it has lacked for many years, especially since Elio Castro Neves was a full-time IndyCar driver for them. Mm. With Elio's departure, left a bit of heart and soul. Yep. I am not saying Joseph Newgarden, Simon Pagano, Will Power lack soul they sure aren't necessarily comfortable sharing it. And so if we're talking about a driver at Team Penske's IndyCar program that I'd say crazy almost anybody can connect with, Scotty filled that void. Joseph, for example, hilarious, sweetheart of a kid. I mean, truly love him to death, have forever. Bit of an introvert right? Very measured and controlled about what he lets the outside world see. His choice, not like that he's the first athlete who uh, has chosen to lead his life that way, but you know that there's some walls put up and it's intentional. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Pagano, very manufactured, right? Uh, There is almost a script behind today at 4 p.m. We will post this photo of me and my fire suit and helmet doing this activity and it is expected to garner X, Y, and Z in terms of reaction. Okay, cool. You know, some folks live their life as if they're the star in an Instagram post. And Pagano's kind of taken it that way. Very manicured, very deliberate. Okay, cool. Willpower, thankfully, is fast. Keeps escaping the, uh, the, the, Folks chasing him from the insane asylum so far. <laughs> DJ Willie P, as we call him, yeah. uh, has yet to be locked away, put in a straitjacket. But power, again, not as it. Funnily enough, Crazy and I maybe don't get this, at least here. Power has been received in a very polarizing way. Mm. I don't know why. I mean, I've loved him forever. He's one of the craziest people, consider him a true, dear, personal friend. He's a little bit insane. So if you're not on the crazy train, you might not be the biggest willpower fan. Okay, fine. Scotty, he's us. Mm. That's the thing they've been missing. That's the thing that they have. He is us. He's you. He's me. All of your listeners living a dream life. If only we had his talent. But just when I see him, how he conducts himself away from the track, even at the track, I just see him as one of us, one of our best high school mates, or you name it, who made it and and got to the top and is letting us stay connected with him. Yeah, That's a pretty amazing thing, man, because I got to wonder how many other folks coming from wherever 
would lock themselves down a little bit, say, nope, just going to focus on the racing, minimal outside distractions. Uh, that's what I have to do, keep my blinders on. Scotty said, nope, you're coming along with me. And I think that's so admirable. Yeah, really well said. Uh, Indy 500 in two weeks' time, less than. In fact, by the time this goes out, cars will have been on track for the first day of practice, which is hugely exciting. It's an amazing feel. What's the... What's the pass mark, do you think, for Scott in particular? What what do we we sit down at the end of that amazing Sunday um, and go? Well, that that's a big tick for Scott to get through his first five hundred. Is it a result, or is it leading some laps? Is it just executing and finishing tenth? What what would you, having watched so many of these races, what would you put down as a pass mark for Scotty in this race? This might be the first race of the year, Crazy, where I would be super happy for Scotty to get to the end of the race and not really have a number in mind of where he might finish in the field of 33. There's no question that he's going to be one of the 33. Um, It's one of those weird events where even though he just kicked a lot of behind at Texas in both of the races, big fast scary ballsy oval right i mean that's it is no joke even so different style of racing there uh any there's not much racing that takes place in the corners Mm. Uh, it's a lot of trying to get by one another coming out or heading into indy there's still a lot of that don't get me wrong but the corners matter and there's not only the width of the track which is greater than he experienced at Texas. But what Scotty hasn't experienced is the manic 15-car pack and some drivers who are possessing of greater skills than others, uh, <laughs> maybe some who have firmer grasps on a will power to live uh, than others. There's some crazy moments. There's also some you know jerkish behavior as well. Where you go, yeah, you could cut across my bow, take the air off the front of the car, and send me into the wall, or you know, have me come really close. Do you do that? Do you not do that? It's those kinds of things where I look at Scotty and say he's going to get a lot of practice. He's going to get a lot of running and packs and toes and doing a lot of things. But we always see this every year where there's one or two new drivers to the 500 where you go, there's that little thing that you couldn't really replicate in practice or with your teammates running together. It's that thing where whatever it was that happened in the race that you had to react to, how did you see it? Did you know what to do? Or did you get caught up in this thing where you go, all right, what? (laughs) What are you expecting me to do right now at 230 miles an hour and manage this thing you've thrown upon me in a microsecond and not in my race? What? He's going to have a couple of those. He's going to get out of the car, I expect, uh, with his face just flushed. Uh, just like, are you, what, what, you just, huh? What did I just do? <laughs> um, which is always fun and cool. The yeah. big eyes where you go, all right, that was insane. I was just in my first the WWE cage match, uh, UFC main event, and there was some motor racing thrown in, and I survived. So just say that. If he can get to the end of that 500-mile race and learn a lot, if he is not in the wall, if he's not making any mistakes on pit lane, 
not of a little, again, things, experiential items, crazy. If he's not bitten by some of those, we have to expect top half of the field is certainly uh, capable for him. Yeah. Then there's the other side of while the field is really deep in terms of talent, still a couple of knuckleheads, right? Yeah. I mean, we know that. And you go, good Lord, please do not run out of talent in front of me. A couple of those things too, where you just hope he's not dealing with wrong place, wrong time. So it, it's this weird thing of like, hey, how do you think team so-and-so is going to do at the 24 hours of Le Mans? And you go, you're wanting me to predict a 24 yeah. hour race. <laughs> uh, okay. 23. Yeah. yeah I'll, I'll give you something right now. That's going to be totally wrong. Yeah. Please don't bet, bet money on it because when you get put out of your house, <laughs> yeah. you're going to come after me next. But uh, kidding aside, we know the team's going to be good. We know I expect the Chevy engines, which weren't really on point last year. I uh, expect them to be up and, and offering plenty of power and reliability. Mm. So uh, here's the, the one caveat I'll throw in. What is the one item that has defined Scotty's season to date that sets him apart from almost any rookie I've seen in so long? It's his intelligence. He is so smart. And from that intelligence comes this work ethic, this study habit, this constant simulator work of his. He's not just kind of a so we got a couple drivers who, you know, you just hope they spell their name the same way twice. Can't necessarily guarantee that's going to happen. We got a couple dummies out there. We've got some reporters here that are dummies too, so I can't really uh, make cast too many aspersions. But Scotty's intelligence, his ability to read a situation and absolutely make the right call, the the perfect decision on what to do to study like mad, look at bazillion hours of in-car footage and this and that and pick Rick Mears' brain, talk to his teammates. I would think discount however many laps he will have turned before the race. I would eat, feel very comfortable saying, I think Scotty's going to be one of the most studied rookies to ever compete in the Indy 500 because that's who he is. That's what's made him so successful. He is exhaustive in trying to fill any little gap he finds in his knowledge, in his game, you name it. That's how you take this kind of talent, brother, with almost nothing in terms of experience and open wheel cars to ready himself for this and have a guy who's splitting the 2019 Indy 500 winner and the 2018 Indy 500 winner in the standings. So that's the only little caveat where you go, if his work ethic, his intelligence, just this mad study aspect about him plays out as it has so far, it would be okay to have big dreams for an amazing finish for him and not feel like you're, you're overhyping yourself for what might come. Yeah, it's truly remarkable because we attended the, the 100th running in 16 and on the Thursday, which was rained out, uh, we just found ourselves wandering around Gasoline Alley. And the first person we bumped into, it was one of those strange sort of sliding doors moments when the last person you expect to see is someone you saw in a supercar paddock the week before at Indianapolis. Um, but it was Scott McLaughlin. And uh, we ended up bumping into James Hinchcliffe, who was with uh, on pole that year and was with the, um, the Arrow Schmidt-Peterson team as it was at the time. And 
um, we just spent time with Scotty chatting to Hinch about the event and you could see the fire burning in Scotty's eyes and his passion for the event then and there. And, and this was before the Roger Penske situation came along in supercars. So it was before the string of three championships. And I don't think any of us, including Scotty thought at that point that he would be uh, on the grid six years down the road. And, and certainly we're all just, it's just kind of surreal to see this happening. Uh, we're talking to Marshall Pruitt from racer.com and the Marshall Pruitt podcast, mate. We really appreciate your time. Last one for you. Um, it would be remiss of us not to get just a bit of a, an IndyCar health check. Where's the series at um, into the second sort of year of Roger Penske's ownership. And certainly from an on-track point of view, it looks awesome. Uh, the product's been amazing. Five different winners from five races. The field is deep. It's very competitive. Where's it at behind the scenes? And, and where is it potentially going, do you think, quickly in the next couple of years? I am incredibly encouraged, mate, with what Roger Penske and his organization have done. From the business standpoint, they have added security where I don't want to say it was lacking. I'm not saying the Holman George family who owned it for you know half of its uh, existence, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and whatnot, not saying they brought instability, but it was a family-owned business, a multi-generational business. And as the older generation is passing on and whatnot, handed to younger generation, what are they going to do? Are they going to hold on to it, sell it? Again, some of the things where you go, eh, would you invest in that stock? Maybe not while it's going through a lot of transition at the you know, boardroom level. With Roger and company in charge, we can remove that from the equation and say, yes, you can auto manufacture A, B, C, and D, invest in us as we go to a new motor package, hybrid package in 23. Do some other things. Hey, you have this bedrock foundation of Roger Penske there with the series and the track. This is something you can invest in. So that, from that aspect, you've got a lot of really happy people. The one area that I'm hoping receives a bit of a fresh pair of eyes, what comes to mind, Crazy, when you think of Roger Penske, Penske Corporation, not the racing side so much, but just more the business empire, it, it isn't marketing and promotions, right? It, it's not, oh, yeah, I can remember those ads, those, the jingles and the this and the, I, the big campaigns that made me want to invest in this or that. That's never really been the massive part on the business end. And so we know on the racing side, they've had some amazing, we can, probably the, the mental Rolodex of all the different liveries and sponsors over the years from so many cars, so many series have been in. That's amazing. Mm. This isn't putting great logos on cars. This is having to market in a sporting league to attract new fans like never before. So it exists. It lives for many years to come. It's the one area. There's a pretty big swing and a miss this year with the defy everything campaign and uh i don't know what that means you don't know what that means the drivers and I, i'm maybe speaking a little bit out of turn here the drivers have a hilarious text chat chain going and have for quite some time since this campaign emerged they're all asked to be a part of it and cut promos and blah 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 today it's still it's one of those things where they're all like what are you talking about? <laughs> and so, 
you know, look, not every camp, like a racing season, a racing team, whatever, not every season's the best. Mm. Just say that we're at this little bit of a turning point, brother, here to close, that the average age of an IndyCar fan, oh, hey, Grandpa, we got your race on the TV for you. It's old. That's okay, but what does it mean? You show up to watch, you know, the Dinosaurs of Rock tour with Iron Maiden and Judas Priest and even ACDC, and you go, this is great memories of youth. Don't want this to be the memories of youth racing series, though. Yeah. Especially when you've got uh, so many amazing young drivers and even some of the old lions like Dixie saying, nope, (laughs) you're not taking this from me, you little farts. I'm going to be the champion forever. You just got to have something to back that up, brother, to get folks who aren't longtime fans, but new fans in. So say that's the one area where there are a lot of folks hoping there can be a lift to bring this product born out of central Indiana up and out to the coasts and have a little bit of a umbrella effect uh, of covering a lot of people who maybe didn't know it existed. So if you can, if we can get into that, I'd say you and I are going to be having a lot of conversations about a lot of success for many, many years. Yeah, certainly the product sells itself because it's very, very good. Marshall, we really, really appreciate your time. Thanks for jumping on and giving us your insight into IndyCar itself, but also how our mate Scotty's gone so far. We really appreciate it. Uh, Where can Aussie and our audience, where can they find your work over the month of May in particular uh, leading into the 500 and over the course of the weekend? Oh, don't do that to a man. Come on. Uh-huh, come All right. On. If you have very bad taste uh, and you wanted to visit marshallpruittpodcast.com, you can listen to a bunch of nonsense that falls out of my face. It's great. Uh, other than that, myself and my colleague, Robin Miller, who's the dean of IndyCar reporting 50, this will be his, I think, 51st or 52nd Indy 500 wow. trails. He's just nuts. Uh, he and I and some other good folks there, Joey Barnes, who's a young pup who's joined us and whatnot, will be uh, typing away and, and whatnot, trying to give you a lot of good stuff on racer.com. So, yeah, it's the two places. Regardless, man, always love spending time with you. And don't hesitate to uh, ring if we got something else we need to chop up. Love it. Thank you, Marshall. Really appreciate your time. Uh, good luck this month. Thank you, my brother. Marshall Pruitt joining us here on The Grid. This is On The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com. All right, time to wrap up the program, Krause. A fantastic chat with Marshall Pruitt there, my friend. Well done. Yeah, thanks, mate. He's a super dude. Uh, You will not find anyone more informed on what's going on in the world of US motor racing, but specifically IndyCar racing. And um, his podcast is very entertaining. Recommend you check it out. And Racer Magazine and their website uh, is very much a go-to. In fact, fun fact for you, Shebexter. Yeah. um, those of us who graduated through the Aussie motorsport magazine school of journalism, um, myself and Mark Walker included, um, actually worked with the current editor of racer magazine, one Mark Glendinning, another expat Aussie kicking goals overseas. So there you go. Fun fact. Absolutely fantastic. And due to the fact that Marshall Pruitt spoke for so long, Mark Walker, (laughs) you've got 30 seconds. It's been a good chat anyway. Thanks lads. Uh, until next week. (laughs) No, it was great to have him on board and, uh, Fantastic, and I hope we do it again later on in the year. What he did say, and uh, what is not surprising, is just the amount of love that there is for Scotty McLaughlin 
around the IndyCar pit lane at the moment. And that's, that is not surprising at all, is it? No, it's not. And um, I think just the way that he's ingratiated himself within the community over there is outstanding. Um, and just with his personality and uh, one that's been uh, matured, I think over the last couple of years with a bit of uh, Roger Penske as ization uh, with the, with the corporate stuff that went on during his time with Shell V Power Racing. But um, yeah, he's, he's still the same Scott McLaughlin that we've all got to know over the last decade or so racing here. So Cool story. It gets better and better and heading into the month of May. It's going to be fascinating to see how he goes in the uh, the biggest race of them all. Early thoughts. How is he going to go? Well, um, I mean, you heard you heard what Marshall said. He was, you know, it, it's one of those strange races where it's almost impossible to predict how it works. And there's so many variable factors in that race over the 200 laps on the final Sunday in May at that place. So in this case, you know, no one goes there expecting to win, but especially as a rookie, you don't expect anyone to go there, but it's so unpredictable. I mean, he could, he could be a contender and I don't think there's any doubt that a, he'll make the field to start with, but B be very competitive across the course of the weekend, but there's so many variables and so many madmen in that field um, that it's almost impossible to predict. But I think the, the general thought is that if he gets the thing to the flag, finishes the race, gets the full 200 laps worth of experience and gets all of the unique Indy 500 attributes under his belt, then that's probably a big tick in the box. If you could be going there in any car, you'd want to be going there in a Penske, wouldn't yeah. you? Just that's yeah, a, a tick straight off the bat. Yeah. And like you said, anything can happen. It's one of those absolutely wild events that, uh, yeah, anything can happen. But you look at Texas. That's awesome that he was able to get that under his belt, prove himself on what's arguably probably a bit more of an insane track than the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I mean, mm. the high banks and all that sort of caper. Uh, the, the speeds there are ridiculous and probably a little bit more so than Indianapolis. The wide open spaces down the back straight there, a, a totally different thing to, to Texas. But at least he's got that one oval race under his belt now. The, the crazy thing with Indy racing and, and the Indy 500 especially is that you can go there one year and smoke the field and the next year you can fail to qualify. And Scott's own team is is proof positive of that because in 94 they went and absolutely destroyed everyone with the amazing beast engine the next year they they failed to make the show penske missed qualifying they didn't they got bumped out of the race so it's such a crazy crazy event and and we've lived it and seen it that um you never know but yeah certainly all signs pointing to a really strong performance and the penske cars will definitely be in the mix for sure one of the indelible memories that I have in my mind from that little trip that we did a few years ago to the 100th uh, running you know, we've of the never Indy 500. mentioned that on the show before, Shebex. Oh, come we don't on. Talk about it. And it was nice that you mentioned it to Marshall Pruitt as well. Well I done. Did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is four Pinsky B doubles lined up next to each other, <laughs> yeah. used as like this massive office. They're all integrated and all locked together. And it was just, I, I saw that and I thought, that is just professionalism, commercialism, whatever you want to call it, right there. That is yeah, it. it. It's very cool. It's very cool. But like as you heard in the chat with Marshall Pruitt, who would have thought that Scott would be the, the two drivers either side of him in the championship are champion and Indy 500 winner Simon Paginot, his teammate, and the other side of him, champion and Indy 500 winner Will Power. <laughs> It's Not ridiculous. bad. Absolutely yeah. ridiculous, isn't it? No, it's a great story. Um, 
Oh, it's going to be a compelling, compelling Indy 500. There's 35 cars racing for 33 spots. Um, there's going to be some bumping, which is cool. So qualifying day this weekend, which we should get live on Fox here in Australia uh, and KO streaming as well. It's always a cool show to see how fast they go. They crank the boost up. So somewhere in the 230 mile an hour range to get pole for that race. And then um, they work their way through to carb day and then, the race start itself. It's um, one of the great spectacles and 45% capacity, I think as well at IMS, which is cool. Good to see fans coming back to that place too. And if you've got some spare time and you've got a YouTube page open, check out some of those old bump days. You, you talked oh, about yeah. 1995, the, the drama and excitement there. And those, they used to get hundreds of thousands of people there through mm. the gate just to see the cars get bumped on, on that day. So yeah, cool storylines. Very much so. Uh, freezing cold in Winton this morning, so I've been told for the Victorian and New South Wales teams test day. And good news for Ford fans is that they've won eight of the last 14 oh. races. Good stats. At Winton. As Mark Walker said on our group chat before, that's nearly half, eight yeah. out of 14. Pretty well, good uh, stats. Well, well done, Shebex. You're sounding pretty smart there, mate. Mm. But what we do know is that you don't gain any advantage by testing at Winton the week before a race, do you? The, the Victorian teams haven't had it their own way at Winton for a long time. Well, it's probably going to snow anyway. So, you know, there's <laughs> there's no point really. And I did see a little bit of um, the Supercars live stream that, that our friend of the show, Chad Nolan, produced. And uh, he was talking to one driver and he said, look, there's, Testing here is great, but they're on a different tyre when they re- return to race. They don't get to test on that tyre, the soft tyre. So, yeah, look, it, it's handy. It's all good to go and pound around on a test day, but it never translates, especially at that place. And, and Winton's such a funny old joint with the weather that your lap time can drop three seconds, two seconds over the course of a, a day, let alone a week in between it. And you never know what the weather's going to be. But, but I just, I'm really hopeful that we continue this trend of bonkers racing and, and, really different results because we talked about it last week, six out of the last six different race winners. Um, and there's more cars there that haven't won that probably should be winning. So there's so many good storylines still to come in this championship. That's what I hope we get out of Winton. And I hope we see more of waters V van Gisbergen because I, I really want this sport to develop a rivalry that can be sustainable for the next three or four years or, or longer. And that at the moment seems like, the obvious one. They're in great cars. They're both operating to use the phrase at a very high level. Thanks, Scafie. Um, and I'd just love to see them continue to box on. I, I think that would be great. That what started at Bathurst last year continued at the bend last weekend. Let's have more of that. I just I want to see that fight evolve. First of all, can I berate any of the hardened fans out there and listeners of this program who are so keen that they go and watch a testo? Yeah. There is nothing more boring in all of motorsport than testing at Winton. Good no, boring. that's true. And, and the only test day that I've actually ever really had a decent time at is when they did it all at uh, Sydney Motorsport Park on the one day and everyone tested on this. That's not bad. You get you get a sort of a, an opportunity to speak to all the teams and see what's happening, how they're setting up for the year and, and the like. But that's about it. You're right. It is a boring, boring day. But from a, from a team perspective, Testing's evolved over the years. It used to be you just rolled up to the track and let's go and tear up some kit and see how we go. We might have a bit of a tinker, but these days it's all about having a plan. They have a dedicated plan, 
They have things to throw at the car, settings to throw at the car, different combinations. And it's not so much necessarily that they find something. It's that they find something that doesn't work. Mm. And then they know not to ever try that again. That's often what comes out of these. They go and take a wild swing at it. And it's like, well, that absolutely did not work. So you don't necessarily waste a day by by trying to find more pace. You often just find your, your value from the day by eliminating things that will just make your race weekends go slower. Well, and giving co-drivers laps nowadays yes. is such an important part of it too for Bathurst. And it was, it was good to see the co-drivers there on Tuesday as well, panning around, getting some laps. Warren Luff was there. Um, Dan Fiori, Fiori was yeah. there running with uh, with Todd Hazelwood. So yeah, I, that's that's another part of it now. It's the seat time is so limited uh, to the point where we've we've even lost a day of the race meetings. It used to be all about just going to the race meeting, but now a lot of them are two days. So you lose that co-driver session, you lose practice three or whatever it might be. So yeah, in that respect, they're interesting. Perhaps not the most compelling um, compelling viewing when you're there, but um, if you're on the tools and working around, they're all right. It- I think it's that three-hour drive to Winton as well. That's part of the problem, no doubt. Yeah. No Two doubt. and a half you can do it in, legally. Can you? Yeah, can just. You just. Really? If, you don't stop, if you don't stop at the service station halfway down that shell to get a pie or something, you're an egg and bacon roll. You've got a bit, of unli- a bit of unlimited speed limit highway <laughs> at the west side of Melbourne there, Shebex. <laughs> you're taking your life in your own hands in stopping and getting a... Uh, Pie there, Jeez. that's very true. Hey, uh, we should also congratulate uh, TJR and mm. their association with Formula Ford. It's fantastic to see opportunities like this be given to the future of Australian motorsport. And uh, the news announced in the last day or two that some lucky uh, kid, and we'll say kid because the majority of the kids that are driving, people that are driving Formula Four are kids just coming out of carts, uh, will be given an opportunity to bang around in a Mustang at the end of the season. So that'll be uh, great. Yeah, well, well done to the good Dr. Ryan and the team there for putting that prize up. It's, it's not a an insignificant prize at all. It, it's great. little carrot at the end of the stick. Interesting times for Formula Ford to see what happens there. And there's, there's some movements going around with Motorsport Australia about um, perhaps bringing back some of the status of that category. <laughs> what? Um, hey. What? Oh, I know. I know. It's... Amazing, isn't it? There's been uh... meetings and everything. Um, uh, and, and returning it after, after the, the blip on the radar that was Formula 4. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it, it, it's interesting. And this just adds credibility to that, doesn't it? When you've got, you know, arguably the best team in the sport at the moment, certainly in the last three years, um, offering up a, a supercar drive as a test. They've still got the road to Indy thing as well. A bit harder to execute at the moment because getting to the States is hard work. But you know, even that's proved successful with Hunter McElrake, another friend of the show, um, coming through that pathway and, and going over and, and having a crack camera and shields the same. So, um, yeah, good stuff. Well done. And good to see the supercar teams investing in in the young driver stuff as well. I think that's still really important. It'd be interesting to see what Motorsport Australia does. If they do bring it back into the fold as a national championship, where does it fit into their program? Because you look last time out there at Sydney Motorsport Park with the Shannons round, you had a whole heap of classes that weren't ARG properties. So we're pretty much on the outside looking in you know, they're at this premium event, but they're not getting any TV coverage or streaming and they're stuffed at awful ends of the time schedule. So that round there, it was hard from that perspective from these national categories like Aussie racing cars, production cars, uh, prototypes, radicals that sort of got the rough end of the pineapple. Then you fast forward to the next 
event on their schedule at Morgan Park where Hyundai Excels and improved production cars were on the undercard, but they've been told not to bother turning up because there's not enough space in the paddock, which I believe is absolute rot because That's I've weird. seen a lot of cars fit in the, the adjacent paddocks there at historic meets and other events there. So, and on the other end of the scale, those categories aren't there for the TV. They're more about the afterglow of being on this decent program. They don't mind not being in the TV window, not copying all the extra bits of fruit that you get associated with being on those programs. They just mm. want to be there and race in front of a crowd. Interesting on the weekend, Rich, you went to the state championships over there in South Oz. Yep. I went to the ones here in Victoria. They're absolutely booming. They've had three rounds at three different tracks and each track has had a, a new record entry for each venue. Mm. And it was phenomenal on the weekend. There were so many great classes, great racing all around. It was a really good value day out. And they've got live streaming from all the categories from go to woe, which was really good, I've got to say. Yeah. Uh, tuning back in on the Sunday. Um, there's a lot of, of good programs out there and, and the state championship stuff is certainly showing the way. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I feel like there's a bit of a reset coming in where everything sits in the program. So you, you've got the two the two tiers at the moment. So you've got the supercars program and you've got the ARG program. And let's be honest, it's the ARG program. Yep. Yes, it's the Shannon's Motorsport Australia Championships, but it, it's driven by the ARG categories. They're the ones that bring the TV from Channel 7. Um, people turn up to watch TCR, S5000, TCM, Trans Am, um, with the fullest of respect to prototype series and radicals and production cars. That's not what people are rocking up for. I think there's going to be a rationalization in who goes where the, the supercars events are always going to be the, the premium manufacturer back category. So Carrera cup, Toyota 86, there's only five Toyota 86 rounds, eight Carrera cup rounds, five super Ute rounds this year, though you'd expect that to up, up to eight in the future. So I, I think there's space for all this to land, but th there's a decent calendar in the making mark. Like you say, where you maybe do, if you're formula Ford, you do a couple of supercar rounds where there's not a Carrera cup or there's not a Toyota 86 series or not a super Utes. Um, you do a, a Shannon's round here or there, but then you go and do Island magic or a really strong Vic state round at Sandown where you've got the streaming product to offer. You've got a full paddock. There's a few people floating around. You can still offer the commercial stuff that you need to tick boxes for being a national championship. But at the same line, you're forging those routes with state level stuff. Um, and the other bonus of running at those events is you get more competitors on the grid because you mix it with the state round and you draw out another 15 or 20 cars to jump onto the back of the field. I, I reckon that's where you'd find a Formula Ford land if it goes back to a full national championship status. But you look at, prototypes at Sydney Motorsport Park, they were shafted. They had mm -hmm. you know, no good track time and no good TV and they turn up to Winton and they're one of the decent supports there that's above XLs in the pecking order. It's actually a pretty good undercard at Winton. Yeah. Uh, you've got Super 2s, you've got the Super Utes, uh, Toyota 86s and a couple of the other ring-ins. So it should be a decent show there. They've got the like the bend, they've got the practice for those guys on the Friday and an XL race which will be worth viewing probably from the highway yeah. you wouldn't want to get too close to a fence <laughs> for that one full grid of hinder excels at a yeah. v8 round jeez Lord. there were there were 41 excels running at the bend on the weekend 
just ridiculous. And we should say congratulations to uh, TRT supported drive Rashid Johnson for winning the round. Bit of bit of pressure on Sunday and some good fights, but uh, the the beer car won outstanding beer and schnitzels. And and there is more coming on that, by the way. Good, it's uh, underway. Excellent. And uh, before we wrap up, boys, while we're talking about young drivers coming through and the like, we've got a, a an article or a series of articles coming up on uh, the run home. Um, he started again. <laughs> the race talk. The race talk. Uh, so I don't want to say TRT because there might be people listening who don't know what TRT is. So the race talk.com. We'll give you the hot tip right now. TRT, the race talk. Exactly. So, that's uh, what it is. For future reference, you've now been told. That's what TRT stands for. Doesn't uh, mean yeah, I'll get it right again, but I'll take I'll take over if you like, Shebex. Please um, do, mate, because I've be, totally botched that up. Everyone involved, uh, yeah. So we're looking for Australia's most underrated racing car driver. There are so many good drivers out there that either no one knows about or just a few people know about, but don't have. They're they're not in the top tier. They're not the elite level, but they perhaps could be. So we want to find who that is, um, and and just. Off the top of my head, there are a couple that spring to mind. So uh, one I was thinking of today, Tim Lay. Tim Lay is an outrageously good racing car yep. driver. And at the Bathurst six hour, he was going toe to toe in identical machinery with Shane Van Gisbergen and matching him for lap time. So, but, but if you put together a list of the top 50 race car drivers in Australia, he probably wouldn't make it. So that for me is the definition of an underrated racing car driver. Brad Shields in TCR. He's another one. I've seen him at the Bathurst 12 hour in an AM class GD3 car setting the same lap times as Chris Meese in a factory backed Audi or the guys in the Porsche. There's another one there's a few like this, that, that we want to find out what the top 10 list of underrated drivers are. So, so we're talking about guys who just never made it to the top for whatever well, reason it might be. Not necessarily haven't made it. There's still a chance they may make it. As um, of yet, though, they haven't made it. Well, yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. for sure. Like no one's going to say that Shane Van Gisbergen is underrated or no. Chaz Mostert. I, I would argue that a Brody Kostecki is not underrated because he's been no. on the Super Cup podium. People know what he's capable of. He's shown that now. So that, in my definition of an underrated driver, he's not there. Well, what Todd about Hazelwood would be the same? Nick Perkett, not underrated. We, we, they've proven themselves. They've shown their capabilities. Yeah. Well, what about a Jordan Cox? I mean, yeah. we know what he's done in TCR and pre-production and whatnot over the years, but what could he do in a supercar? Yeah. I, th- I think the argument is if you put them in a Triple Eight Commodore or a DJR Mustang, um, will they be at the very front of the supercar field? I, I think that's the judgment on how you have to look at it or an IndyCar race or a Grand Prix, whatever it might be. That's sort of how you go. Would, would they be a superstar at the elite professional level of the sport? And, and if you believe that they are, but they're not there yet, then that to me is being underrated because people genuinely, you, you haven't shown what you're capable of behind the wheel, which I think means you're underrated. So I remember one back in my day, it was uh, 1998. Well, I could, but I've just changed my mind. Uh, another guy up there in Queensland, Ron Lang, he mm-hmm. used to race in Gemini's. No one's ever heard of Ron. He, he's up there drifting away still, uh, doing his thing out at Archerfield Drift Park. But in the Gemini's, he had no money, like literally no money. He drove the tattiest old looking piece of rubbish car. If there was a wet race, he'd win it by half a lap. 
Yeah. You know, there'd, there'd be guys out there like that who don't have any coin, but have just ample ab- ability. Who are they? Yeah. Yeah. Could talk sure. about them. Yeah. I, I grew up, yeah. Looking forward I, to it. I, I grew up going to Malala watching the touring cars and Mark Poole on his day was, was really, really gun race car driver, but never had good machinery. But yep. a couple of times he got himself into a really good car. And when he'd rock up at Malala, where he'd be able to do lots of testing and he got on a, the same Bridgestone tire as the, the HRT cars. And he was in the top 10, if not more on that note, John Faulkner would strike me in that era as being massively underrated. Um, but always punched above his weight. That's the sort of kind of thing we're looking for. So we'd love for listeners of On The Grid to jump on to the social media channels at The Race Talk, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It's the same handle across them all. So make it nice and easy for us. Um, Let us know. Who do you think? But don't just put a name down. Argue your case. We want to know why they're underrated. So if you've got a mate who's won every single club level XL race for the last three years, put his name forward and tell us why that's what we want to know. So jump on our social channels. Let us know Australia's most underrated racing car drivers. We're going to do a top 10 list because who doesn't like a list. Um, and that's, that's easy to put together, to be honest, um, Excellent. jump on, let us know. And uh, we'll build a list of Australia's top 10 underrated racing car drivers. And then maybe they'll be rated. Yeah. And I've just realized too, that the rate, the run home is actually the TH. So it doesn't even fit with TRT. So I don't even know why I'm getting there. But uh, I just want to know, Mark Walker, are you sponsored by Dr. Zeus? Are you thing one or thing two? Pardon? Your clothing, the green top, mm-hmm. the, would make me would make it seem like you are either thing one or yeah. thing two. One, this is a podcast, therefore it's an audio medium. Oh, but I'm sure this will get this photo will go up <sighs> on some social. And two, it's a Castrol t-shirt. Um, it's a no. It's a Goliath Dino V8 t-shirt right yeah. what whatever that is i bought it at a shop in 2007 and working from home today i just brought it out of the cupboard so well this uh short end of the show different yeah. places didn't it <laughs> it's a did boys always great to catch up we'll do it again next week no thanks boys love being on the run home what a good show yeah, i hope you're feeling better next week shebex <laughs> so do i mark so do i preview of winton coming up next week right. here on the grid catch you then bye-bye